Hello, and welcome to the CBC The Rim podcast. We're glad you found us. CBC The Rim is a church in San Antonio, Texas. If you want to learn more about us, you can find us at cbctherim.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Well, if you're new here, welcome. We're really glad you're here. My name is Drew Worsham, and I'm uh, the pastor here at CBC The Rim. And we're just, stop it. You don't mean it. Uh, You do that to everyone who comes on stage. Uh, But we are really honored to get to just do life together. It's crazy. I mean, we're just now four weeks into this journey. And if this is your first time here, like I said, welcome. You're jumping into uh, a brand new sermon series that we started just a few weeks ago. And we're just kind of a six-week journey as we're looking at keystone habits or keystone practices that as a church, we want to be zeroed in, focus in on uh, things that we believe would honor the Lord. So this is, as a church, this is what we're, we're going after. And so week one, we talked about as a church, we want to be, we are anchored in Scripture that in a culture that is pushed just kind of to and fro by all of just the different changing philosophies and ideas, that we find our root in God's Word, in the Scripture. And then last week, we talked about that we're called to be a family on mission. And the moment that we see God as Father, that we're adopted into a family. And that we don't get to separate those two. We can't go, hey, God, like, super grateful that you're a spiritual parent. But yeah, no thanks for all these spiritual siblings that you've given us. And so the question is not, do we have a family Or are we a family, but what kind of family are we becoming? And tonight's practice is, uh, we just saw the video, is that we are disciples that make disciples. And I want to be completely transparent with you from the very beginning. Um, Tonight, what I believe that God has put on just our team's heart and what we're seeing in the scripture, uh, I think is going to be a little tough for us. And for some of us, this is going to push us and make us feel very uncomfortable, stretch us in some ways that maybe we didn't anticipate. And I'm just going to be very honest with you that some of you tonight, you may walk out of this space frustrated and a little upset. And so I'm aware of that stepping into tonight, but I also want you to hear me say, I love you enough to give you the full truth and not just a piece of it. And so just want you to know that, that ultimately these aren't my words, they're God's words. And so if this does sting a little bit, hopefully uh, it pushes us closer to Jesus. So that's my hope. So it's gonna be a little tough. So Matthew 28, I'll give you just kind of a little bit of a backstory in case you're new to all of this. Uh, Matthew 28, uh, we have Jesus who has been, been placed his life on a cross, crucified, and he's placed into a tomb, and three days later, he walks out of the grave, proving that he has the power over both sin and death. And then he walks on planet Earth for 40 days with his closest boys. And right before he's about to go back to heaven to ascend, to sit at the right hand of the Father, he gathers the boys up for one last huddle. 
And so tonight, we're getting to kind of peer into a conversation, Jesus' last conversation that he has with his boys. These are his famous last words. And you and I both know this, that if you know that this, is, this time is it, like this is the last thing that I can say to you, that I'm going to say to you, that, that these are important words. There's a lot of value to this. So keep that in mind as we listen in, that Jesus isn't just throwing out just random phrases, like this is a heartbeat. He really summing up all of his ministry. And so in Matthew 28, we'll start in verse 18, it says this. Then Jesus came to them, talking about the disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, <coughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, one of the very first words that a lot of times we zero in on in verse 19 is this word, go. Now, this is going to make me sound a lot smarter than I really am, so don't take that. But I found out this week that the word go is actually a passive uh, participle. That didn't mean anything to me. I had to look that up. And so why that's kind of cool is for it to be passive means that it's not a command, um, that a lot of times we take that. It's like, go, get out of here. That it's actually passive, which means it's an assumption, that there's an assumption that you'll be going. And it's a participle, which means it should already be in action. So a better translation for go is as you're going, as you're doing life. As you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to home, as you go to the coffee shop, wherever it is that you go, as you go, make disciples. And what is ultimately a disciple? A disciple is the same word like the idea of follower or student, a learner, or maybe a better word, because I think sometimes in the Christian circle, it's kind of a tired word that for many of us doesn't mean much. A better word may actually be this idea of apprentice. To be an apprentice of Jesus, to link your life underneath him and follow him and to do the things that he does and to live the way that he lives. And we do this in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 says, in teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I think for many of us, we kind of stop at that first part, especially in the church, that we've stopped at that teaching them. So when we think of discipleship, we think of a classroom, and we've condensed discipleship to a classroom setting. If you want to be a disciple, take our discipleship class, join our discipleship program, read this discipleship book. And I'm not knocking any of that. I think for many of us, that's been the best tool we've had so far. But I know that that, that would never work in, in, in the relationship with my little daughter. I would never go, hey, sweetheart, you want to know what it's like to be a worship? Well, here, just take this class that I'm offering. I got a program I'm going to love to set you into. Or here's a book on what it looks like to be my kid. Read this, and then if you've got any questions, let me know. Or even this, hey, once a week, let's gather for an hour over coffee, and I'll just teach you what it looks like to be an amazing daughter who does her chores. But the rest of the week, see you later. Like, I know that's ridiculous when it comes to parenting. But how that's leaked into our discipleship, if discipleship is in some ways just spiritual parenting, 
But to be a disciple is to learn an art or a discipline. And we know that you can't learn martial arts in a college classroom. I mean, you can learn a lot about martial arts, you can, but you can't learn how to do martial arts. To learn how, you have to do it in a, a dojo. In a dojo, you learn to practice and execute the discipline. And when it comes to Jesus and discipleship, we believe that discipleship belongs in a dojo and not in a classroom. And I was joking with Jane, my wife, and I'm like really tempted to call this next sermon series after the practices, just the, Deges, the Jesus dojo, uh, as we just learn what it looks like to practice even deeper the ways of Jesus. But my wife says that that would come across a little cheesy, so we're probably not going to call it that. But, but the question we have to answer tonight is, what does it actually look like to be a disciple of Jesus? And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, if you're at Matthew 28, it may be actually on the same page, or just turn one page over to Mark chapter 2, and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the life of one of Jesus' actual disciples, and so I don't feel like there's a better place to look. So Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus is... Uh, he just healed this paralytic man, and he is just kind of passing through. The crowds are gathering. And uh, in chapter 2, verse 13, this is what it says. It says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Aphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. That Levi just gets up and follows Jesus. Now, just a little bit of backstory about Levi is we see here in the text, he's a tax collector. Um, now, for many of us, if you have any church background, you may have been told, like, okay, tax collectors, those are the guys, like, kind of like bad guys. We don't really like them. They're kind of like drug dealers. Um, but I, I really wrestled this week to even how to convey the hatred that these people would have had for the tax collectors. And there's nothing in our world that even kind of remotely connects. And to give you just a quick backstory, I mean, at this point, like Jerusalem's underneath the Roman rule. And the Roman rule, it's going all the way to, from India to Europe. Massive rule. And so how do you police all of this area? Well, you police it with Roman soldiers. But to have that many soldiers who inside of the city would take whatever they want, they had full reign, and many times, very often, if they would take complete advantage of the Jewish family, taking the wives, raping them, stealing whatever they wanted. I mean, these people were ruthless. And how do you pay for this oppression on you? Taxes. So here you have one of your own countrymen who's taking from you, oppressing you, taking this money to pay someone to oppress you even more and to take full advantage of you. So this is like, I mean, the lowest of the low. The, 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 the best thing that I could even wrap my mind around would be like, it would be the equivalent of saying that Levi was like, a pedophile in the Taliban to go like, ooh, ooh I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that. And so I, I need you to know that the tax collector is not just this cute little like, oh, people didn't like him. He didn't have a whole lot of friends. No, I mean, this, this was an outcast of society. 
And Jesus only says two words to him in this text, and it's simply just, follow me. And when Jesus says this, there's this major decision. There's a fork in the road for a Levi. If he gets up from his tax, like, like he can't go back. Like if he leaves this life, like there's nothing waiting on him. Like many of the other disciples, like some of the other disciples, they actually leave their jobs and they can go back to it. If you think about Peter, Peter's a fisherman. He leaves that. When Jesus dies on the cross, Peter goes back to being a fisherman. But Levi doesn't get that. Like, if he leaves, like, this is once and for all. He's done. And what's he do? He rose and followed Jesus. Now, anytime that we see an eyewitness account like this, it's always good to see, is there another eyewitness account? Now, we've got the four Gospels. And the four Gospels, if you think about this, are just first century, like, uh, biographies of Jesus' life by four guys who just traveled around and followed Jesus and just their journal entries of what they saw Jesus do. And so if you have, if you just turn a little bit to the right to Luke chapter 5, we're going to see the same story. But what's interesting about Luke is Luke was a doctor before following Jesus. And so each one of the disciples zero in on different things. So like John, John's the best friend of Jesus. So John loves to highlight all the stories of how Jesus loved people and the relational like drive and grace that he had. Luke's a doctor, so a lot of his like story, he highlights all the miracles because his mind was blown away by the miracles of Jesus. And he's also, he takes great attention to detail. He's just a little bit more detailed than the rest of the guys. And so in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, we see the same account, but just a little bit different. I want you to notice this. In verse 27, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. There's a word that Luke zeroes in on in this passage. And the word is that Levi, he stands up, he got up, and he leaves everything to follow Jesus. He leaves everything. So point number one in your notes is this. Jesus' invitation leads to transformation. Jesus' invitation leads to transformation, that God loves you and I just the way you are. He loves us right where we are, but he just loves us too much to leave us there. And he has something bigger in store for us. Now, um, I don't think I've gotten it since we planted the church. I don't think I've shown you guys a photo yet of my family. And so I think we have one for you guys. Yep. Uh, that's my wife, Jane, and then our nine-month-old, Tilly. Uh, they're on the right. Uh, just not that you needed me to separate the two. But, um, and so the other day, Jane just asked me this question. She's like, Drew, when Tilly gets older, will you take her camping? Now, we joke often, and many of you heard me say this, like, you don't have to look at me very long before you realize I'm kind of more what they call, like, indoorsy. Um, and so my idea of camping is, like, staying at the Holiday Inn and cracking open the window. And then if we want to splurge, make it, like, a s'mores cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. But, like, that's, like, camping. And so I, I love that this new fashion trend uh, of glamping has come out. You know what I'm talking about? You, have you seen this? Like of, of glamping, it's like kind of a combination of like, like glamour and camping, which two words that don't 
shouldn't go together. And so uh, just for fun this week, I started looking at motorhomes. And so, I mean, never, it's like a dream, and I don't, can't even imagine it. But motorhomes are crazy these days. Like many of them come with like 50-inch TVs and full living. I, just, I brought some pictures for you guys uh, just so you can see in case you're just out of touch with it. So do you have some of these photos of this like, yeah, like this is the in here. And here's what's crazy. These are all the modest motorhomes that I could find. Like that's got, it's got wood floor, the leather couches. It's got marble like, or granite like countertops. Like it's amazing. Go, like, go to the next one. Like look at this. It's got a fireplace inside of this motorhome. Uh, go to the next one. Like, look at this. Like, these, this is nicer than our house. Like, this is unbelievable. But here's, here's why I share this. is because the motorhome is, it's interesting that it allows us to put all the, the conveniences of home on wheels and the campers no longer need to contend with sleeping bags or cooking over a fire or hauling water from a stream. Now we can park a fully equipped home on a cement slab in the midst of a few pine trees, hook up a water line, a sewer line, and electricity. No more bother with dirt or no more like, smoke from the fire or have to walk to the stream or walk to the bathroom. Now it's possible to go camping and never have to go outside. We buy a motorhome with the hope of seeing new places, of getting out into the world, yet we deck it out with the same furnishings as our living room. Thus, nothing really changes. That we may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surroundings, but the newness goes unnoticed, for we've only carried along our old settings. And the reason I share this is the adventure of this new life in Christ begins the, the moment that we leave behind the comfortable patterns of the world. That we can't follow Jesus and stay where we are. That it's not okay, or it's okay to not be okay, it's just not okay to stay there. And Levi here walks away from everything and it ultimately changes his life forever. It changes every single part of him. Now tonight, this is the part of the message that I believe uh, it gets a little sensitive, so I'm going to try to walk just as, with as much grace as possible. But I believe there is a huge difference between a disciple of Jesus and a convert. And let me explain. That I think many people come to Jesus thinking that it's enough to just simply believe. Like we believe in Santa Claus. But here's the deal, like to believe in Jesus is... Like there's more proof that Jesus walked on planet Earth than there is that Shakespeare did. To believe that he was here, like that doesn't change anything. And we think that just to simply believe is enough to stand on the sidelines and maybe root for him. But Jesus isn't looking for cheerleaders. He's looking for men and women who will follow him whatever the cost He's looking for radical devotion, unreasonable commitment, and undivided dedication. But Jesus isn't looking for converts. He's looking for disciples. And converts are new believers. We all start as converts, but far too often we stop there. We make Christianity all about what we believe. And converts aren't bad or wrong. They're like babies. There's nothing wrong with being a baby. 
The problem comes when that doesn't change. When a baby acts like a baby, it's cute. When a 35-year-old acts like a baby, it's weird and sad. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For years, churches have worked to get people to make a decision to simply accept Christ, which is a great thing. It's important. But what happens next? Our focus has to be on making disciples, not converts. What's the difference? A disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus, who makes his mission their mission, his values their values, his heart their heart. It is impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. I'll say that again. It's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. The goal of a disciple is to be near Jesus, become like Jesus, and live the way that Jesus lived. But this week, I, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Uh, Austin, one of the guys on our staff, he's the director of our RIM community, sent me a link of a documentary called Sheep Among Wolves. Fascinating. I mean, I strongly recommend, uh, if you've got a little bit of time to check it out, but it's the story of the underground church in Iran. I don't know if you know this, the largest and the fastest growing church on our planet is in Iran right now. It's crazy. And so it documents, man, this rapidly reproducing discipleship movement that owns no property, no building, has no budget, doesn't have a 501c3 status or any identifier that the church in the West says is a must if you want to be legit. And a leader of the Irani underground church explains their goal is not planting churches, but rather making disciples. He says this, you see, you, we, or I'll just say this as a side note, you and I, we were never commanded to build the church. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. Jesus actually would say the contrary. He said, hey, listen, I'll build the church. I'll do that. Your job, make disciples. When you make disciples, the natural byproduct is you get the church. But for many of us, we've tried to build the church and completely missed out on the disciples. But our, our responsibility is to go to make disciples and the church happens. And in the movie, one of the leaders of the underground church, a layman or laywoman, we're not sure, uh, with no formal training, their face disguised, their voice filtered so that you can't recognize them for their safety, says it in the movie, says this. What persecution did was destroy the church where there were no disciples. They destroyed the church where there were about converts. The church leader added, all these church planners found out that converts run away from persecution, but disciples would die for the Lord in persecution. Disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. And converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. 
There's even this part in the movie about this Iranian couple who's leading the underground church. I mean, the persecution is unbelievable. Like every morning they leave, hug their spouse, and the young woman will say, hey, listen, this is maybe it for us. Knowing that if at any point they get found out, they'll probably get raped, beaten, and then killed. And they, this couple ends up moving to America, and within a few weeks, the wife looks at the husband and goes, can we go back to Iran? And the husband's like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you want to do that? Like, I mean, there's a good chance, like, we'll die there. Like, why would, you, why would you face that? Abuse, oppression, persecution, why? And she said this, please don't miss it. She said, there is a satanic lullaby here in America. And the church has fallen asleep. And I'm starting to feel sleepy. Can we go back? Can we go back? And I think out of our desire to win converts, we've often tried to make Jesus more convenient. That's what our culture is all about. So we water down the gospel to reflect the culture. So it can be easy to trap, an easy trap to fall into. Our culture and our churches have the same slogan as Burger King, which is you just can have it your way, whatever fits you. And we often make following Jesus comfortable and easy, reducing the expectation. You don't have to do anything different. Just believe, pray a prayer, that's it. You get a ticket to heaven. And carrying our cross has been reduced from a radical relationship of self-sacrificing love and humility to cheap advertisements with bracelets, jewelry, and bumper stickers. We've turned following Jesus into little more than eternal fire insurance. And in doing so, we made him something he is not safe. And we made him safe. I love it. And C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe Aslan, the, the picture of Jesus, is they're talking about a Mr. Beaver and the kids. And, um, and, and at one point, it's, uh, Mr. Beaver starts talking about Aslan. And I love this interaction with Mr. Beaver and Susan. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver's response, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king. Our God is not safe, but he is good. And my fear is that in attempts to justify our comfortable lifestyles, we turn the lion of Judah to nothing more than domesticated house cat. And watering down the gospel, we have taken what is all about Jesus and really made it all about us. We've made Jesus simply a part of my life when it should be, he should be all of my life. And following him requires all of my life. We've made Jesus like the sprinkles on our cupcake. Just a little something extra that makes the cupcake look prettier, not realizing that Jesus is the entire cupcake. He is the treasure. So why? Why would Levi here give up everything. This seems crazy. Well, my hypothesis, if you will, is I think Levi missed the presence of God. I think he missed it. Levi's name will eventually be changed to Matthew when he starts to follow Jesus. And Levi, I mean, he was, it means he was born from the tribe of Levi. He was a Levite. That was the priestly tribe. 
meaning he probably grew, around, I mean, grew up around all of this, all of this culture, hearing the name of Jesus, knowing that, that Yahweh loved him deeply and intimately. That Levi, whose name changes to Matthew, he goes on to write the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what's cool. Matthew uses more scripture, quotes more Old Testament than all the other three Gospels combined. Meaning he had a deep, deep-rooted heart for God's word. And I think Matthew just missed the presence of God and his heart was so thirsty for something to satisfy his brokenness so that when Jesus had extended an invitation, he got up immediately. They got up immediately. Well, tonight, real quick, I'll just give you these. There are three, like, just dimensions, if you will, of transformation for all disciples. And it's the laying down of our reputation, the laying down of our resources, and laying down our relationships. Our reputation, listen, when you really follow Jesus, like, really follow him, people are going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're crazy. When you lay down your resources, it may cost you your job. Yeah, totally. When you lay down relationships, like he leaves his associates, his family, his friends, everyone that he called his community, he leaves to follow Jesus. Like his life dramatically changed. His name changed, his job changed, his crew or squad changed. He goes on to write one of the gospels. Like, like ultimately everything about him changes But how does that happen? Listen, it's not performance. It's not behavior modification. This is all about meeting with Jesus, spending time with him, walking with him, having him change you from the inside out. It's about becoming an apprentice of Jesus. It's about becoming more like Jesus in his character and living the way that Jesus lived with competency. So the question I have simply for us tonight is this. Do we look more like Jesus this year than we did last year? Do we look more like Jesus this week than we did last week? And if not, why? Like, listen, that's, that's not to shame you. It's for you to really wrestle with. Figure, what's really going on in my heart? Am I really following Jesus? Or is this just a box that I check? Is this just the group that I connect with? Is just, I just hear just kind of just moral deism that I'm just gonna leave here and just feel a little bit better about myself? Or are we really following Jesus? That Jesus' invitation always leads to transformation. And point number two, our transformation always leads to an invitation that our transformation always leads to an invitation. Look at verse 29. After he leaves everything to follow Jesus, it says this, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others, um, others would have been probably more likely prostitutes and other uh, mafia-type people. Um, That's kind of the catch-all. So the group of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So what happens? Levi immediately calls all of the people he has influence with, all the other tax collectors, all the other people. He invites them over to his house. And he's like, hey, listen, you got to meet this Jesus. Like he's unbelievable. 
Like as he starts to follow Jesus, he wants other people to, to, to experience him too. And Matthew immediately invites his people to meet Jesus. No seminary, no training, no evangelism classes. All he, is, all he has is this, is I, I don't know much. Like I, I haven't figured all this out, but here's the deal. I met a man who changed me and I want you to meet him. That's his only tool. That's all he's got. So the question becomes is what is our sphere of influence? Is it our work, our school, sports? Is it our kids' sports, clubs, Fortnite? I don't know. Where is your sphere of influence? But you need to understand that salvation for us, it is most definitely personal, but it was never meant to be private. It was never meant to be private. And we say this often, the gospel just hit you on its way to someone else. Or in your notes, I just wrote this, God doesn't just save us from something, but for something. I, I believe with all, all of my heart, everything in me, that if you love Jesus and you are a disciple of his, the only reason that you're still on planet earth today, and the only reason you didn't get zapped up into heaven to be with King Jesus, which is amazing as San Antonio is, 95 degrees in October, amazing as that is, to be in the throne room with King Jesus, fully known, fully loved. No hurt, no pain, no anxiety, no fear, no cancer. To be in the presence of King Jesus is a much better deal than what we've got going on down here. So why leave us here? Because he has an assignment for us. And the assignment is to go and as we go to make disciples, he didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. And I don't want us to miss that. Go, and as you go. This passage ends with verse 30, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, Jesus answered him, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the converts, if you will, the people that had figured out the church game and were playing it really well, the varsity level Christians, completely miss it. They thought they were good, they had grown comfortable. But Levi, of course, needed a doctor, and he knew it. There was no pretense, no pretending. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, and he's like, man, listen, Levi, you're broken, and you need a doctor, and I'm here. Levi's like, heck yeah, I am. I know that. Like, I'll, I'll follow you. Let's, let's do this. And for many of us, my, my fear, and this is the reason I'm even willing to step into this, knowing that this is going to make many of us uncomfortable. And here, check this out. Real talk, our numbers may go, like dip down next week because people go, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I'm just here because I just want to be cozy and comfortable and complacent. And you're just here because maybe right now you're the coolest ticket in town, so we'll just kind of just coast. And if you're going to kind of talk all this hard stuff like, thanks, but no thanks, Drew, I'm out. But here's the deal, I love you enough to not hold back 
And my fear is that we would walk into this place and that we would play it just really safe. I think play it really comfortable and not realize that we're in desperate need of a doctor. Like we're all in desperate need of King Jesus. That every one of us broken. Every one of us flawed. Like, like you know that. And, and, and the sad thing is some of us, we get good enough where we start to pretend and we've kind of even lied enough to ourselves that we don't think that we need Jesus. But Jesus came for those that were broken, those that were sick, and those that needed him. And every one of us, that's us, that's our story. The question just becomes, do we realize it? And that are we willing to surrender completely to King Jesus? To get up and leave everything behind to follow him? Listen, salvation is a free gift. It's free. And it's offered to every one of us. But discipleship costs you everything. But can I say this? Whatever it costs you, he's absolutely worth it. He's absolutely worth it. As the band kind of comes up, I'll end with this. Several years ago, my wife and I, we were in Washington State and I met a young man named James. He came to pretty much, I mean, we had, I was brand new into the ministry, didn't know really anything, wasn't formally chained, and so I just started looking at the scripture, and it looked like that the church was meant to be the family, and so we just started doing life in our home, essentially what we're trying to recreate with RIM communities, and we invited all of just whoever wanted to come to our house. And one day, this kid, James, he's a freshman in college at Washington State University, shows up to our house and hang out. And after an amazing night, I follow up with him, have coffee. So it ended up being the second time he was over at the house and just sat down with him. He's like, James, tell me your story. And he's like, man, both my parents, strong atheists. And that's kind of the life I grew up, like, or kind of the home I grew up in. And I was like, James, well, tell me this. Like, why in the world do you come to uh, our house? Like, this is kind of a, a Jesus thing. And he's like, real talk, uh, there's free food. And I was like, okay, cool. And he said, but also, Drew, he's like, the way these people talk about Jesus, it's almost like they really know him. Like, they're really following him. And then he asked this question. He's like, Drew, what, what's the gospel? I hear this word a lot. You know, and you're, as a pastor, you're like, oh my gosh, if you put the ball on the tee, like, I'll swing. Like, that's like amazing. Like, you live for those questions. And I just shared with him that, that we're all broken and we're all separated from God. But the whole, the whole Old Testament's a giant promise that God's coming one day to fix everything that's broken. And that's who Jesus was. It was God who left his throne room and came to planet Earth and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved. And that all who put their faith in Jesus, all who will become his disciples, go from being enemies separated by our sin to being adopted into the family. James is like, that's cool. I don't know how I feel about it. He's like, that's cool. You're fine. We'd walk together for several months. He'd ask all these questions. He started reading the scripture. And in December of that year, I get a text message during finals week. And he's like, Drew, are you on campus? I was like, yeah, I'm hanging out. So I'll meet you there right after this final. 
So we sit down at this university center just across the table and he just goes, Drew, he goes, I feel like for three months that I've been following Jesus. He said, I think I'm ready to give my life to him. And then he asked this question. I never heard this before. He said, Drew, do you think it's too soon? I was like, whoa, what do you mean by that? Uh, And then it clicked. It dawned on me. That James, in, in reading through the scripture, looking at the life of Jesus, like he had fallen in love with Jesus and realized what it cost to really chase after him. It was like he was dating some girl and he's like, hey, Drew, listen, like I'm madly in love with this girl and I think I want to marry her, but we've really only been dating for three months. Should I like give it some time and like pray about it? Like this is a big decision. And in that moment, I was like, oh, James, you get it. You, you get it. You've weighed the cost and you realize that Jesus really is a treasure worth pursuing. So right there in the university center for the very first time, James prays out loud, asking Jesus to rescue him, to fix him, to enter into this relationship with him. The next day, we're hanging out in James's dorm and James's roommate, Stephen, comes in and somebody just kind of nudged James and go, James, did you tell Stephen what happened yesterday? And James just kind of steps up to the plate and he's like, bro, yesterday I completely surrendered my life to Jesus and now I'm his disciple and I'm following after him. And then James begins to share with Stephen the story of Jesus. And I'm gonna be honest with you, completely butchered it. Like, it was awful. And the whole time, like, I'm just like, oh, okay, we'll just get through this. I'll fix it when he's done. I'll just fix it. Just go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And I didn't even get a chance because at the end of it, James looks at Stephen and goes, Stephen, would you want, would you want to follow Jesus? And Stephen's response, I'll never forget this, was with everything in me, that's what I want, that's what I need. And James, just like the day before, leads his roommate roommate to the feet of Jesus. And this is the part, I, I don't want you to miss it. This is the kicker. After that moment, James looks at Stephen and says, here's the deal, I don't have it figured out. I'm one, literally one step ahead of you. But here's the deal, Stephen, if you want to walk with me, like I'm, I'm, I'm headed towards Jesus, like I'm headed in that direction. If you want to walk with me, we'll both get Jesus because that's where I'm headed. Like it sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul, like imitate me as I, as I chase after Jesus. Like he's inviting him in. And listen, day one, first day and following Jesus, and James has made a disciple, is walking with this young man, teaching him just step by step. Like as he's learning things in the scripture, he's passing it on. And my fear is that many of us, we, we can make excuses. We go, well, I, don't, I haven't read enough. I, I, I don't know enough. I haven't been formally trained. I haven't taken seminary classes. I haven't read enough books. And my fear is that you'll make excuses the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years of your life on planet Earth when you and I were called to make disciples that make disciples. My fear, just real, tonight in sharing this message 
I think those of you that are fairly new and following Jesus, you're geared up, you're on board, let's do this. But I look out over the crowd and there are men and women in this room that I know and love deeply. And I know that this hits a sore spot, why? Because you've been around Jesus for 20, 30, some of you even 50 years and you have no disciples. And my fear is that you would walk out of this room defeated, not realizing that this is an invitation. That maybe, just maybe, God put you in this room to hear this truth and it's not too late for you. And for the next five, 10, 20 years that you have left on planet Earth, would you be obedient to King Jesus? Would you be a disciple of his that makes disciples? There's a church in Europe that won't even call you a disciple of Jesus until you make disciples. They would say that disciples have to make disciples. There's no other choice. And so tonight, very practically, as we're gonna worship in just a little bit, this is, you need to figure out for you what God is speaking to your heart and what the next step is for you. For some of you here, listen, you're still weighing the cost and what it looks like to follow Jesus and you're not ready for that and I need you to hear me say, it's okay. It's okay. Wherever you find yourself, this is a safe place to process and journey. But I want you to hear me say, he's worth it. Some of you tonight, God has spoken directly to your heart and you're like, Drew, I know a lot about Jesus, but I've never said yes to him. And tonight I'm in. Tonight, Texas Hold'em style, pushing all the chips in. I want this Jesus. And there's two ways. Listen, if you go, hey, listen, Drew, I need to talk to someone right now. Then listen, in the lobby, there are people at CBC Cares that would love to introduce you to King Jesus. Or you grab somebody that came with you and go, hey, listen, we're going to slide to the back. We're going to hang out during this next song. And you need to introduce me to Jesus. Or let's go grab some food. I'll pay for it. You tell me about this Jesus, what it looks like to follow him. Maybe that's your next step. Or some of you, you need to take a step in what it looks like to be his disciple, to begin to grow. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe for you, you've never taken that first step of obedience. It's in Matthew chapter 28, to get baptized. And then lastly, listen, if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But you've never made disciples, we wanna make this as accessible. This was a hard one, we wrestled with this. Like, how do you like, go make disciples? Like, what do you do? I don't know. Uh, so here's what we did. Uh, we created a book. Uh, and this is not the great answer, but there are some key truths about what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And uh, we wanted to make these available to you. And so, uh, listen, normally they're like $5. We're not making any money off this. We're gonna give them to you for $3. If you can't pay, just take it, okay? So it's like kind of a suggested donation thing. But here's my encouragement. Maybe God has put a few people on your heart and in your life that he's called you to invest in 
you can literally start this tomorrow. Grab like five, six, seven, whoever many people you've got in your life that you wanna start walking with them. And I encourage you, you do it as a group. You journey together. Just take it a chapter at a time, two chapters. It's totally up to you. You can use it however you want, but it's the only step that we could give tonight that easy. And here's what's really cool. You could actually go, I don't even know if I know Jesus. You could start discipling people with this. That's what's helpful. And so no matter where you find yourself, it's just a resource that's available to you. So tonight, would you be obedient to whatever God's asked you to? Whatever he's whispering to your heart, would you take that step? So if you would, would you stand with me? I want to pray, and then tonight we'll worship. Jesus, tonight is ultimately all about you. And we want you to be lifted high. We want to know you deeply and intimately. We want to follow you closely. So would you show us how to do this? Father, I pray for your church. I pray that they would be obedient to what you've called them to, just that next step. We don't have to know 10 steps down the road, just the first step or the next step, whatever you have in store for us. We love you, Jesus. Would you continue day by day to make us look more and more like you? Thank you for listening to the CBC The Rim podcast. If you like the message, then check us out at cbctherim.com. There you can learn more about our gathering times, upcoming events, or how to get more involved. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at CBC The Rim. Thanks for listening.